0: Hello, and welcome to the At Sea Level podcast, brought to you by Intelligent Briefings, a Lynchpin Media brand. My name is Jess Phillips, Director of Strategic Content at Lynchpin Media, and this is the podcast where we speak to technology chiefs about how they're making waves in the industry, chatting to them about their career journey so far, their management style, and how they're planning for what's yet to come. Today, we're welcoming RJ Sublock, Chief Information Officer and Chief Data Officer at Rubrik, a market leader in cloud data management. As the CIO and CDO, RJ is responsible for the enterprise applications portfolio, tech ops, workplace technologies, and enterprise business intelligence and advanced analytics. He promotes business partnership and innovation across process, people, experience, and technology consumption to turn IT into a growth catalyst for Rubrik and a place where employees grow and thrive and build
1: their careers. He also helped enable Rubrik to become a data-driven decisions company. Previously, RJ worked in IT leadership roles at VMware, Logitech, and Mercury Interactive as a Senior Principal Consultant for Siebel Systems and a Lead Engineer for Oracle.
0: RJ, thanks so much for joining us today.
2: Thank you.
1: Where
0: are you joining us from?
2: Uh, I'm located in uh, a town called uh, San Ramon in California, US. And we are, of course, headquartered in uh, another uh, city called Palo Alto. California.
1: So the first section of the podcast is called Memory Lane. This is where we take a trip down memory lane to find out about our guest's career journey to date. Now this first question does require a bit of imagination but let's just pretend we've somehow managed the impossible and created a time machine. You've used this time machine and come face to face with a 16 year old version of yourself the year you finished school and probably made some big decisions about your future. How would present you describe your current job role to that person?
2: Yeah, when I uh, reflect back in a time machine, you know, I think it's very much related to what was happening back in time. You know, I see a person, a young person who's developing a passion for, uh, you know, the developing technology called computers. And uh, it was something that, uh, uh, you know, used to be very attractive for me. And then, uh, you know, I ended up, you know, as journeys go, um, uh, you know, there were a few opportunities and I ended up uh, doing like electrical engineering as a pursuit right after high school. And I remember because I, had, I was so passionate about the evolution of computers, I would always be gravitating towards, um, you know, these computer labs. Uh, we didn't have too many of those back in time. Uh, but I think enough for me to dabble in, you know, software programming and, you know, create some very interesting uh, you know programs that would do fun things and and that is really how i you know kept uh, i would say developing that passion further so as i you know went through engineering i mean obviously i was exposed to all aspects of uh, you know what i uh, call technology and uh, but this was the part that always uh, motivated me the most right and uh, i would just light up i would be a different person when i was around these things um, and so I kind of continued that on. Right? after I completed engineering, I I went down to uh, uh, you know find a postgraduate uh, course that was uh, you know predominantly focused on software programming. And I said, you know, I want to do a lot more of this. This is something that I could do all day long and not get bored with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's also when I got you know an opportunity to work for a company that specialized. In uh, you know building software solutions. So back then there weren't any platforms or you know evolved uh, applications or tools. I mean it was all building blocks that you use to kind of assemble things and you know provide a solution for other people, um, which I was very happy with. I mean I I love programming. I love creating things and and so in my early days I remember. Uh, you know, writing device drivers and working on voice response systems and um, and it kind of, uh, you know, helped me build a foundation uh, which, you know, which meant I had a much deeper understanding of what was going on under the covers of technology. And as things evolved, you know, as uh, applications evolved and platforms started appearing, you know, my curiosity was, you know, with anything and everything, right? So so I decided that I would follow my heart at that time and say, you know, let me get exposure to a, a variety of things, and uh, and that you know took me through the different paths that I've followed in in my career journey. Um, starting with you know uh, a retailer that you know I worked for for a few years, and and there I got exposed to this concept of data warehousing. You know, early this was like late '90s, but it was still early in that journey, right where data suddenly became an important asset, right? And and that early understanding of how data was so important to that company uh, helped me connect kind of the dots, right? And I've been doing that ever since. I've been sort of evolving that understanding uh, to kind of, you know, my present role, but it started way back in time. And uh, I remember we built, you know, some analytical tools and reporting systems and, and they were serving the needs of that retail company very well. Uh, in fact, they were able to kind of replace a lot of the manual stuff that they used to put together, you know, with that data warehouse that came into being. But there, you know, uh, that was kind of the early evolution. And then I was also attracted by all these application platforms. So hence, I ended up joining a company called Siebel, where I was so curious about, you know, how a, a new space called CRM could have so much impact on on companies and people and organizations. So it was not just, you know, programming. At that time, my interests were developing to seeing, you know, how do you put good solutions together, right? Where people can actually benefit uh, because technology, you know, could get expensive. I think if you were just focused on building blocks, firstly, it was very cumbersome, secondly, I realized that I was building a legacy that was very hard to support and maintain. But then these application platforms, they started to uh, show me a different side of, you know, things. And so I joined this company and I, you know, helped a variety of customers bring solutions together on a very standardized platform. And that itself realized that, well, these platforms also had to evolve because, you know, the things were not that easy. You had processes and, and then you had gaps, and then you had to go figure out how to close those gaps. And in some cases, they were elegant ways of closing it. And in some cases, people would not understand what they were doing, and they could botch up a project, or it could run, you know, into a very costly, uh, you know, spend uh, uh, kind of a you know routine. So I think all of that understanding came through through that journey, right? And I think it got to a point where I said, well, I believe I I can really help companies understand how to build not only the foundations of solutions, but also th- start to think holistically, right? Think about applications, think about data, think about kind of bringing it all together and in a manner, which is, you know, cost optimized, uh, it is also stable, you know, where you start thinking about enterprise architecture, about thinking about how am I piecing it all together? Uh, so, I think that IT journey started back in 2005. You know, I progressed through various roles and and I think that was the other part of the journey saying how do I get exposure to the different roles? You know, the the idea was not to kind of rush into you know big titles and, and big roles it's, it's like saying how do I get through and learn along the way and also you know help other team members mentor them uh, bring up you know teams where they could learn from my experience uh, and that way I think the entire company and the various, you know, groups that we supported could benefit from from there. So that journey, I think continued into, uh, you know, my longest stint in a company, which was VMware. I think it was the the most challenging, I would say, uh, just because of uh, being a high growth company, it had, you know, so many challenges and nuances and uh, we kind of helped stabilize it. We helped put, you know, foundational application platforms together. We thought about architecture. And then there was this point in time where data became a huge challenge for the company. It was uh, fragmented. There were shadow data sources springing up, mushrooming everywhere. And uh, we realized that that is a pain for a fast growing company. It's because people need insights and they don't get them fast enough. And so they try to solve the problem the best they can. You know, throw money at it. Maybe get a couple of uh, uh, you know consultants on board that promise uh, you know a lot. But in the end, there is no cohesive strategy for that company to achieve you know what they set out to do. And so I remember, you know, the challenge at VMware was that we could not understand who the customers were. I mean, it, it's like if you were to say, could you tell me how many paying customers? Do we have? You would arrive at five different answers from five different sources, and it's it kind of became obvious that this is not how the company can continue to grow and thrive. Um, so we, uh, you know, we we had a severe need to solve what I call master data management issue, right? And and I actually rotated out of a predominantly front office role into what I you know call a master data management role just to focus on solving that problem for the company. Um, so I also started, you know, becoming more known for being a problem solver, saying, you know, this guy is curious enough to take anything on and help the company solve that problem. And we did; we absolutely put a lot of different solutions together that actually helped this company overcome their master data problem. Um, and then, uh, you know, at that point, I realized that it's it's really important to keep rotating, right, and and looking at all of the different challenges that exist in in different aspects of how IT serves the business, right, and how IT can become a catalyst for growth. So so then the the thinking was that, no, we're not a back-end shop. I think we have to be in the forefront of helping the companies actually grow and thrive. We have to be, you know, joined at the hip in terms of business strategy. We have to be able to deeply understand, you know, product offerings if you're a high-tech company and say, you know, how do I as IT really help in, uh, you know, catapulting that to the next level, right? Really, how do we work together? So it's not just about building solutions, you know, in a silo. I think it's about understanding the process, the technology, the automation, and then saying, how do I use technology to really help accelerate that growth? Mm -hmm. Um, And then data plays a really big part. See, the evolution of data is, is that kind of when I started thinking, and where does data, you know, it plays an important role, but how do we then democratize it? So I think that kind of leads me to my present state, uh, which of course I can talk more about. Uh, but honestly, that's really how my journey resulted in um, uh, in what I do today for for my company.
0: So it was a very early passion for you. It would be amazing, wouldn't it, to go back and have a view of the kind of technology that we have today. It would probably be quite overwhelming, really, you know, to go back and see what what was going to be accessible in 2021.
2: Absolutely. I mean, I had not imagined, you know, a time in the 90s where, you know, databases were considered an amazing uh, innovation, right, and the client server was the way to go. I mean, those were... The, you know things that attracted people the most until, of course, the next, you know, high-tech revolution called the internet hit, and I think it changed everything. Right? It completely changed our thinking, the possibilities, the fact that, you know, software could now be considered as a, you know, as a utility. Right, like how do we consume software as a service? not necessarily keep building uh, you know things from scratch
1: and what would you say has been your most memorable achievement both personally and professionally in the last 12 months
2: um yeah i think that in the last 12 months i i do have to uh, uh, you know talk about firstly helping our company through uh, you know what's been a very challenging environment right the, the pandemic hit um, almost you know a little over a year ago and everything sort of, you know, was in a state of panic. Um, and uh, I think, you know, we as a company, you know, we had a couple of advantages. So obviously we were all in shock. Nobody knew what the future, you know, held for us 12 months ago. And so we did, you know, what every, I think, uh, organized and mature company does. Firstly, think about, you know, how to protect your employees and how to safeguard everything. And and so we decided that, uh, you know, it wasn't safe for people to, uh, to be in a physical space, you know, close together. We were a startup, and so our offices, you know, had space constraints, and and you know, people used to innovate in terms of how we would get through the workday. But we decided that working remotely was the need of the hour, and and of course, we had never ever, you know, worked in a hundred percent remote uh, mode at any point in the past. Right? We were, we are a startup, and you know, one of the things we enjoy is brainstorming sessions where everybody kind of comes together. You know, we also realize that when when we have problems, right, we sometimes swarm it by just like pulling everybody together, both business, you know, IT people together and brainstorming and then, you know, attack the problem and solve it quickly. Well, we weren't going to be able to do a lot of those things anymore. So so anyway, we kind of set up, uh, you know, all of the, we made sure the employees had remote access fortunately, I think we had invested, you know, VPN, corporate networks. And so we started leveraging, uh, you know, these technologies, we were already a Zoom customer. uh, And so we said, okay, let's make sure that, you know, everybody had access to, uh, uh, you know, attending uh, meetings remotely. So the first month was spent just optimizing, you know, people's access, uh, reaching out to people that were in remote locations, making sure that, you know they were able to connect uh, without issues uh, and I think within a few weeks I, I found that people were able to uh, overcome it. I mean people are resilient I think I think they understand I think this was a global problem this is not just you know a com- a company issue so I think that they you know really supported uh, these efforts and I think the meetings more and less started to get uh, to, to fall in place you know settle down I think people started getting used to it. A few other things that helped was that, you know, I had invested in a 100% SaaS architecture early on, you know, that this was something that, that was my learning saying that when you have the ability to consume software as a service, why not leverage it to its fullest potential, which is let's make sure that my entire application footprint, my enterprise architecture is based on cloud-based solutions, hopefully SaaS, you know very few uh, built on the amazon cloud uh, natively and one of the solutions we had invested in was enterprise planning you know so finance planning sales planning and they were in place you know when this happened and so one of the things we were able to do is quickly replan to see you know how the how we could uh, factor in the potential of a business impact right so we we still had to obviously guess some of the things because we didn't know whether the reaction you know, globally would be severe or mild or a combination or hybrid, how quickly would we come out of it, but we nonetheless planned for it. And we were able to replan, you know, from remote locations, we were able to uh, at least pull together, you know, these uh, tele sessions and get through that. So, so I think a combination of these things really helped. And I think within a quarter, things were starting to open up at least, you know, the worst was over and, uh, the confidence was building up that perhaps this is something that it just needs to be managed, right? And I think that's important. And you know, regular communication. So we are a very transparent company. I think we have company updates every two weeks from uh, you know our leadership. And in that, we made sure that the communication was open, you know, candid, and we were soliciting a lot of feedback, questions from people. And so I think we kind of helped people through this journey to where. The confidence returned, and and I think we had, in fact, uh, we returned, you know, to our original business targets very quickly after the first quarter. Uh, and then since then, I think it's at least been a good uh, journey. The other thing that happened in the twelve months, so so one was this pandemic, and then the other was that we did lose a lot of people along the way. I think, um, you know, people made some, you know, shifts. I think they weren't too probably sure about the future, and so they were changing kind of their own bets on uh, what career paths they wanted to follow. So we lost a lot of people in in IT as well. And I think that's where I remember the morale was very low uh, in the team. A lot of people had started leaving. um, And so that was one of the other challenges that uh, I stepped in to uh, help overcome. I took over as head of IT uh, back then, and then, you know, really helped shepherd the group through all these, uh, you know, fears and apprehensions, and um, we looked at all aspects of, you know, what they were passionate about, what they were really looking for, you know, in in a role and challenge, And, and also, you know, at the same time, communicated very frequently about how bright the future was. That the potential was huge, right? And sometimes people forget. You know, they only look at the immediate, uh, you know, issues and the fact that hey, if this is company's a startup. Where are we going to go? And and I'm like, no, that's not honestly the, the right way to assess anything, right? You have to assess the completeness of what any organization offers you, including you know, career growth, creative and innov- innovation opportunities as well as its own potential for business growth, right? Look at those things. And uh, I think I also looked at job titles. I looked at, you know, salary bands. Some of those were not correctly set. Um, and I realized that, you know, we were a startup that was growing very fast and evolving. And, and so some of these things had been ignored in the past. And, and, I, and I said, no, that's not okay. I, got, I come from a mature company previously and I know these things are important, you know, to teams to individuals, to members. And so we corrected all that. Uh, We also found that, you know, the partnership with engineering, right, for infrastructure uh, support and all that was not very, very good. And there were constant, uh, you know, issues previously. Um, They used to flare up a lot. And and so, you know, that was the other area I invested in the last 12 months to saying, how do we build a culture of trust and credibility? You know, you've got to give some and, and get some back. And it's not about, hey, this is my zone. This is my area. I'm not going to let you guys come in. You know, it's always about, you know, what is the what is best for the business? So I think having that open mindset, right, to saying, what is where is the other person coming from, right? Why do they want to do things differently? Perhaps they want to set up a set, shadow IT shop. But I, I, I tell people, don't shoot anything down, right? Understand their challenge. There is a problem behind that statement, right? People don't just do things because they want to go grow. There is always, you know, in their mind, that is how they are going to grow. And so perhaps you, all you do is you change their, uh, you know, help influence their mindset, help them see, you know, how things could be different if we were to collaborate, right? And where so, and I think that's honestly turned things around in the past twelve months for us. You know, we have a great partnership i think we are refreshing our entire data center um, you know getting rid of some of the old uh, uh, servers and hardware and machines that you know we thought were end of life end of service life um, in fact they have started rebuilding their confidence on us in fact they come to us much more frequently than they ever did before um, and i and i see that evolving you know very strongly which ultimately will help you know, us as a company, you know, I think we're getting ready to go to the next level. And uh, I look at it and, and I say, have I helped this company build a great foundation from, you know, have I helped build a springboard that's really strong for this company to take off right, uh, into the next uh, chapter of our life.
0: Well, that actually does bring us onto the next section of the podcast very nicely. And this section is called the chief and it's where we find out about your management and training style. So what would your advice be to other C-level executives on how to best communicate their area of expertise with the wider C-suite and the board?
2: You know, it's always a challenge um, for IT to, uh, you know, explain their importance and the fact that, you know, they indeed are a catalyst for for growth. And and I think it always uh, depends on, you know, communicating in, in business so communicating in business terms obviously is the, is the best way to you know articulate what the investments or where the investments are what are they about and what are the business benefits right so so i you always lead with that to say you know these are some of the things that the company needs to achieve right for growth i think those levers are well understood by you know the c level um and, you, and and there are various areas that people understand. They understand, you know, data as an asset. These days, I think data is key. Data is an asset. We are a data-driven company, and, uh, you know, I'll probably talk more about why that is. But, you know, these are the levers that they understand very well. Like, what are the processes, right, that are going to help us grow to the next level? What are the, you know, different uh, challenges where, you know, productivity is impacted, why it's impacted? So if I explain things in terms of the business challenges, the business needs, um, you know, revenue growth, scalability, cost challenges, cost reduction, and then translate and map it back to a lot of the investments that we are making in IT and making a lot of these things happen, Uh, it goes a long way, right? Security is a big part of that too, to say, you know, this is how we need to secure our company and our data. and, And these are all the investments that we are making you know, to actually make all of these things happen. And and I think that goes typically very well, right? And I think the questions that come back are also very pertinent. And I think they help us, you know, close the gaps quicker, right? Especially when we go and put a proposal in front of C staff to invest more. Uh, Firstly, I think you build credibility that I think you, that, that this group understands, you know, why we are investing what we are getting out of it, and how to keep it optimized, right? And and then secondly, I think once they understand the, the entire picture in in a speak that they can actually relate to, they are very open about you know making bigger investments.
1: Brilliant, thank you very much. And what would you say the best piece of advice is that a manager has ever given you, and how has this shaped your own management style?
2: Yeah, I mean I've had uh, several uh, you know good managers and, and, and as I call them mentors, right? Really what I look for in a people manager is, is that person a mentor, right? That, you know, helps me kind of, uh, understand, you know, what, uh, you know, mentor mentorship is all about, right? So people management is, is a one thing, but if people management translates into a hierarchy, you know, of a reporting structure, that's, that defeats the purpose, right? I think, people management should always be about you know, a mentor who's more of a servant leader, right? And I, I think that's where we have you know, in my current company been emphasizing the importance of why leaders should be firstly servant leaders, right? We are here to serve the employees who are in a part of our team, right? And we are here to guide them, uh, empower them of course first, and then to guide them through you know, the, the various twists and turns that happen. Uh, and uh, and I think when, when you follow that approach, right? Firstly, you become much more approachable as a leader. Um, you, you people look at you and say, "Oh, this is not just a person I cannot reach, right? Person with a big title that is, you know, just going to be attending some forums and advisory you know, committees, etc." Now that's not what I am about, right? So I always believe in, you know, be be available you know think about a lot of different aspects of you know making it successful including your people right so so the relationship between a manager person and that's i think what i learned through a couple of different you know people right so they they were always available they were reachable and when i you know would call them at any hour right they would respond they would be empathetic right there were times where i was very challenged they would not lose their cool they would be like, okay, let's, you know, sit down and think about this. Let's figure out the, the options in front of us, right? And it could be a very dire situation, but, but I think the important thing is to keep your cool. And so I learned a few of these traits from from the, you know, the one or two managers that I had that were absolutely, you know, amazing in terms of, you know, their approach to life, right? And, and I think I've imbibed some of that, right? So, so, the, so the thing that I don't lose my cool firstly right under any circumstance because you know, things happen day in, day out. And I think it's important for some people to stay calm and think about options to you know, get out of that mode and back into normalcy. Uh, and then how do you do that you know, if you are upset or you know, showing other emotions rather than just staying balanced and thinking about the problem and the solutions?
0: think there might be some people listening that would be really keen to understand how you have been able to get that balance because it can be hard can't it on the dark days the hard days you just <laughs> it's stressful and what you know how do you get how do you get to that place
2: i i think it's uh, you know mindfulness uh it doesn't come overnight <laughs> it is uh, a trait that you uh, develop um so you know whether it's uh listening to other people uh, you know, listening to motivational talks, uh, and then sometimes reflecting internally. Right? You have to have reflect, and then say, you know. Uh, so, firstly, be aware. Right? Aware that hey, these things are important. So, I think once you gain that awareness, you're right. Then it's about saying, how do I put it into practice? So, if you are convinced that that's a good approach, right? Then I think half the battle is won. So, at least you you in your mind you know that. This is a great approach to building strong teams and employees You know, who actually look up to you and want to come to you and, and get your advice all the time, right? They're seeking you out. And that's a good place to be. Now, the question is, how do you achieve these things? And, uh, and like I said, you know, you have to self-evaluate sometimes. So do checkpoints, right? And I always say, you know, meet with your, especially your immediate team, right? Meet with them frequently. I meet with them. In different forums, one on ones. Uh, talk about a variety of things. Don't, don't just talk about, you know, what did you accomplish last week? Yes, that's an important part of uh, your conversations, but also, you know, how are you doing? How am I doing? You know, are there aspects of our interactions that, you know, are either going well or not so well? And, and then how do we course correct? Um, am I being responsive? Am I available? Do you feel? Uh, you know, and sometimes we conduct surveys, right, because people are not too open or can't uh, about, you know, saying something out in the open. So then we conduct surveys that are more anonymous just to also get a pulse on, you know, what is the team thinking or what are they fearful about? You know, do they fear retaliation and retribution for stuff that they, you know, share? And, and that culture, you know, is something that you have to constantly address. So I think it's, it goes broader than just saying, you know, I'm a manager and and this person is, is my employee. Uh, I think you start to look at all aspects of, you know, who you are as a person, right? Um, Because that's, I think, when the barriers start uh, dissolving, right? And people then don't hesitate. Uh, But the thing is, if you are inconsistent about your approach, right, where you are moody at times and you're like, yeah, I told you, you can reach me anytime, but this is not a good time. You know, you just don't brush that off. Remember that one incident can break that bond that you have constructed, you know, over a period of time. So losing credibility is very quick. You know, building it takes, you know, a long time, right? Mm-hmm. So I always tell people that's where you have to figure out, you know, how to stay calm under every situation. Um, yes, I think certain situations are truly, you know, horrendous. I mean, horrific. <laughs> but it doesn't mean that, you know, my you know, becoming agitated can never solve a problem, right? I have never seen that in my past when I reflect back, I've, I've seen that whenever I'm agitated, it does not solve the problem. So it's only when, you know, we cool down and we we, we think about the problem and we know it's hard. Uh, and, and then we talk about different, you know, options in front of us. And we always find, you know, a way out, right? Um, so, anyway, so that's honestly what I would recommend that you know people do is, is it's not you know something overnight that, that miraculously happens. No, it, I think you first think about it, believe in it, and then start to practice it, and then self-evaluate. You know, do your checkpoints. Whether you want to do it once a quarter or you want to do it more frequently, and also look, you know, ask for feedback from your own, you know, team members. For validation just to see what are they thinking sometimes the outside perspective may be different from what you are thinking is happening
0: absolutely and what about outside of work then how do you relax and unwind
2: so that has also changed over time uh, of course uh, these days uh, you know I love a good uh, run in the morning so I I wake up early I'm, I'm an early riser uh, it's uh, I think part of my routine I, I would wake up you know typically around 5 5:30 a.m. Uh, and then go for a run. It just, um, you know, helps clear the mind. Um, I typically listen to a few podcasts on various topics, you know, including Maybe technology. Maybe you'll listen to this one and, on
1: your next one.
2: <laughs> <laughs> climate change and, you know, what what have you. I mean, TED Talks, I mean, they're, they're really lovely. Uh, but it just also, you know, helps me unwind. Uh, and then I think I typically... You know, start my day early these days just because you know we are working remotely, and so the meeting times have shifted to start much sooner than they typically used to in the past. And uh, and sometimes you know they go longer than they used to before just because you know uh, people realize that uh, you know the availability may be broader. I mean, there's no commute time uh, these days, uh, so we end, end up spending more time uh, you know meeting with each other. Uh, so. So that's it and then you know over weekends i unwind to a variety of different activities i mean i happen to live in a region that's you know surrounded by some amazing wineries so we uh you know just because of uh, all the social restrictions we have been either you know going out on um, long hikes <laughs> along the beach and the mountains or mm-hmm. going to some of these uh, wineries you know with, with outdoor tastings and uh, and just been enjoying uh, you know uh, those activities as well
1: oh lovely sounds like the dream <laughs> <laughs> and in the next section of our podcast we're getting down to business and this is where we find out how our guest is planning their strategy for the year ahead how do you stay plan to stay afloat in 2021 amid the uncertainty caused by COVID-19
2: the uncertainty of COVID-19 uh, you know has you know it started last year and it, it's always you know going to uh be a part of how we evolve. Uh, but I, I believe, uh, you know, the creativity uh, that that comes when you are trying to tackle a problem will, will always help us, you know, find various ways to overcome the problem, right? So, so we are, of course, uh, looking at potentially uh, getting some people back to work in September, if all goes well. Uh, I think especially in in our area. The vaccinations have been going extremely well. Um, You know, a large population of the people have uh, chosen to get vaccinated. So I I think, you know, we might be in a position where things are stable enough for us to reopen uh, offices and, uh, you know, maybe keep the flexibility going. So I think the important thing for us to remember is that you know, this is kind of a slow return back to normalcy, but it may not be the old normal. It may be a new normal, right? And how we, I think, evolve to a new normal is is again a very iterative and collaborative, uh, you know, journey. So it's it's not going to be like one fine day. You know, we make a decision and then everybody just shows up. I think we are constantly checking in with people. We are a global company, and so we have locations all over. In fact you know india is going through a lot of uh, you know its own pains right now and so we kind of reached out to all our employees there and we offered them all types of assistance so i think we have to keep that in mind right that that you know this this is a a new challenge that we are all trying to overcome it's not it does it means that we have to be very uh, you know a- a- empathetic towards people their challenges um, we will offer people options, but we are not going to mandate anything, right? We're going to say, I think the most important thing is the safety uh, of our employees and their families. And then beyond that, I think we want to make sure that you know, the work can continue, the collaboration, the communication can continue um, in, in its best form um, by giving people you know the space, the resources, uh, and the flexibility right, that they might need. Um, and then, uh, you know, I, I think we also, you know, continue to look at, uh, we, we have a program called Rubric Beyond Work. Uh, it's a more of a volunteering, uh, you know, based uh, uh, outreach kind of a thing, community, you know, help organization. And we are looking for ways to see, you know, how could we help the community around us? Um, and, and I think that's another way for us to kind of bring a lot of the employees together where, you know, you, you have, social issues that you kind of go after and tackle. And then em- employees, you know, they actually participate based on what they feel is, is, you know, good for them in their heart. Right. And uh, so that's another avenue for us to make sure that, you know, we stay connected as a company, as an organization, uh, as a set of people. I mean, we call it the rubric family for a reason, you know, it is because we want to make sure that people feel they belong, you know, that they, that we are all in, it, in this together. So, i'm optimistic you know, i am always uh, optimistic that i think we'll overcome it uh, there's a lot of innovative ideas on the table um and we constantly uh, you know look at pursuing some of them uh, so yeah i mean i'm looking forward to uh, to to that future
0: what are you most excited about or looking forward to in some of the projects that you might have planned in the year to come
2: yeah so i think uh, you know, I, I mean, there are a lot of projects that, you know, we're doing obviously to help the company grow, right? Um, uh, a huge amount of uh, projects in the go-to-market space as we, you know, launch uh, new product lines uh, in the near future uh, to help our, you know, both customers and prospects. Um, and, uh, you know, I I do believe uh, the data is going to be a, an important aspect of uh, what we pursue uh, in next year. Uh, you can see the emphasis on, on data. You know, we I, have, I actually hold two titles, and, uh, and and one of them, you know, it is, is emphasizing data a lot for, for a reason. Right? And it's it's that we have become a data-driven company. right? we we evolved in many different ways, but in the in the past couple of years, we emphasized the importance data plays in the growth of our company. Uh, and so, you know, with that foundation in place, we are now starting to invest a lot more in providing insights, right? Both, you know, through, uh, of course, data warehousing, um, a lot of different ways of doing advanced analytics through reporting, but also investing in solutions that, you know, are more machine learning and AI based, where, you know, we get models that give us uh, recommendations to further improve, you know, a lot of key processes for the company. So as we kind of look, you know, to be a company that could potentially, you know, have a public event in the future, we want to make sure that we have built that strong foundation of, you know, growth and scalability. Uh, for, for, you know, to help us, right, um, to help us serve our customers, partners, and you know, what have you. So, a lot of investments are going to go in in the data area, um, and uh, you know, when we talk about data, we we are also investing in making sure. When, when you say you're a data driven company, have you, you know, made sure that it is secured, protected, not just from you know, the immediate threats, right? The cyber threats that always exist, but also from other kinds of threats, right? Which we constantly worry about. I mean, in fact, last year, uh, around summer last year, we had these uh, so-called Napa Valley, you know, California fires, and uh, uh, we thought they were far away from where we are. And uh, and then they came about within 15 miles of our primary data center, and yeah, uh, you know, I had a few sleepless nights, uh, obviously worrying about uh, you know what that could potentially mean, you know, losing the data center due to a fire, and then having to rebuild it all in some other location. Obviously, there would be a bit of downtime, but but then I was comforted by the fact that we had invested in uh, you know the data protection um, strategies. <laughs> Uh, In the the past couple of years, and so, so we will continue to strengthen those. I think that architecture is evolving for us. You know, we also have uh, our workloads uh, spread in private data center. We we use the public cloud a lot, and I think what I am looking for is investing more in uh, strategies where, uh, you know, I could restore. You know, I could address any kind of uh, disaster very quickly right so of course restoring data is still possible but can I restore it extremely quickly and get the business up and running and back on its feet I think that's a great investment for, for any business you know considering all the threats of climate change and uh, natural disasters that they, they just continue to get more intense you know by the year so I think we will be looking at you know some of those strategies um, and uh, and of course uh, like I said, you know, we we always uh, look at engineering solutions. So we are looking at, you know, how do we make the life of customers and partners better? And so we'll be investing in some of those areas, including, you know, building better and uh, more feature-rich portals for our partners as well. Because we are a channel-based company and we realize that we absolutely have to take care of, uh, you know, partners as well.
0: So that does bring us to the final section of the podcast. And this is where we hand over to you. We ask for roughly two minutes but in this section, which is called Against the Clock, you can speak uninterrupted on your area of expertise. So the main thing to bear in mind is what one piece of advice you would like to share with other C-level executives, CIOs, CDOs, or a lesson that you'd like to pass on. So when you're ready, we'll hand over to you and you've got roughly two minutes to talk about anything you would like to talk
2: about. So i will love to talk about comprehensive data management. Um, you know, what, what does it mean to a company? And so uh, as, you know, the CIO and the chief data officer, you know, I strongly advise every company to, uh, you know, look at, you know, look internally, look at themselves, look at their existing data strategy, and then remember that it actually comes in multiple facets. So there, there is the master data management that I mentioned. Look at that look at you know securing that data through a product master or an account master of some sort and connect it to all of your consumption uh, you know applications, data warehousing, et etc to make sure that your metrics are always uh, streamlined and and consistent across the company. The second aspect of data is, know ensure that if you want to become a data-driven company, that you have invested in building a a repository of consistent, you know, transactional and master data where people can either self-service or you have a good team of you know data analysts, et cetera, that can help you know address the business demand and encourage a culture of you know depending on on that data for insights, right? Make decisions based on that. Make sure that you're Top executives are comfortable, you know, driving decisions, meetings, et cetera, based on it. Go real time if if you have to, right? For some of your metrics, uh, because it's important for a company to, uh, uh, you know, formulate strategies around this. The next next aspect of your data would be protecting your the main asset, you know, that helps your business grow. How do you, how do you think about firstly securing it, right? Is your data secure from internal and external threats? Make sure that you invest in those things. Secondly, make sure that you have strategies for business continuity and disaster recovery because those are increasing in number. They are not going to back off, especially because of the hybrid cloud era that we now live in. Those threats will only increase. So I think it's your job to make sure that you protect your business by first protecting your data.
1: Interesting. Thank you. Well, it was fascinating to talk to you. So thanks so much for joining us today, RJ.
2: Thank you. I, l- I loved it too. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks. You too.
0: That sadly brings us to the end of this edition of At Sea level To our guest, RJ Sablock, thank you so much for joining us today. And to our listeners, thanks for tuning in. And we'll be back again very soon with the next installment of At Sea level